the way we are thinking about workforce engagement is leading all the key HR department and the center of expertise that we have in, a, in HR that engage with all stakeholders with the power to create an experience for them. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure, and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that quite frankly often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. My guest today, Seb Girard, introduces himself first as a husband, then as a dad and a friend. On this episode, we discuss the importance of workforce engagement and leading with empathy in order to train and retain great people. Let's dive right in. All right. Sebastian Gerard, welcome to the show. Are you ready to get this party started? I'm very ready to get it started and, and very honored to be here today. And Adam, if I can ask you if you can call me Seb, Sebastian is when I'm in trouble. And when you say Sebastian, it just brings me back to the time where my mom was yelling at me. So Seb would be fine. <laughs> All right. No flashbacks, no PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> Please not. <laughs> exactly. I'll go in fetal position and shiver. So that, that, let's not do that. <laughs> no. no, I want this to be a positive experience, Seb. You're going to be, you're going to be in the nest today. You're going to be, I want you to feel comfortable. I'm already doing, feeling comfortable, so that's right. a good start. All right, good. Well, speaking of being in the nest, are you an early bird or would you consider yourself a night owl? Early bird by a mile. Not even close. I can wake up at 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning and ready to go, no snooze, fresh. But by 5 or 6 o'clock at night, brain is off and cannot wait to go to bed. Wow. So it was 3.34, is that like normal? Normal is probably around five, but if for work or any emergency, I need to wake up before that. Waking up is not an issue. And now, did yeah. you train yourself to get up this time, or is this just always kind of been your circadian rhythm? No, it's since I'm young. So it's a blessing and a curse, but this is, a, yep, early bird. So I keep saying to, to the people I'm working with, if you want my brain, get it before one or two o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon, because after that, my energy is down. Yep. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm assuming you're similar to me, but I, I get more work done before nine and after five than I do during the course of an entire normal, uh, you know, work day. That's exactly that. And especially when, when you're early bird, right? No, nobody's calling you. You can do your emails. You can get things moving. There's little disruptions. Yeah. And yeah, for me too. I, I really appreciate that. Well, tell me about some habits that you have or one habit that you have, good, bad, or indifferent. 
I'll give one good one, which I think served me well in life. And I will say this is an habit I had pre-COVID because COVID kind of, you know, mixed things up a little bit. But I was very good at compartmentalizing. So achieving balance, right? Which is how do you balance your mental health, family, friend, or, or, or life with a very stressful work life, right? And just the capacity to get home. And when you're with a kid, you focus on the kid. And when you're with your wife, you focus on your spouse, you focus on, you're, you're able to focus on the spouse. And that had served me very well through the years. That's a great skill set, especially now when we have so many different distractions. Again, is this something that is natural to you or this is something that you, you know, have consciously worked on? And if so, share your secret sauce because I'm sure there are a lot of people that would not have given that answer. So, yeah, no, this, this is a good one. So this is one that I think early in my career realized that I was able to be balanced in many aspects of my life, but not necessarily with the work-life balance. So I was very consciously incompetent. To, 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 let's put it like that. Consciously incompetent in being balanced. So it took me about a year or two to consciously make the effort. You know what? When I'm spending my time with the kids, this is kids' time, and I'm not going to pay attention to anything else. And after a year or two, just became consciously competent. And if you ask me today, I'm unconsciously competent in that. Right now, I'm able to do it without thinking about it. That's truly a habit. This is a great quote. I love it. It says that, you know, they, a lot of people think that they control, they control their life, but you don't. You control your habits, and it's your habits that control your destiny. That can change your life. Exactly. Yeah, so these tiny habits. That, I mean, but that's fantastic. And, and have you noticed as a result of that conscious or unconscious, I should say, unconsciousness of being able to do that, has that enhanced your ability, that, that time with your kids? Does it make you more productive when you're working? Does it make you more productive when you're having or whatever it is that you might be doing at that time? I will say it's all of the above and, and it's reflected with mental health, right? Because if you have the capacity to forget what's happening at work and really focusing into mm -hmm. the moment, your mental health is enhanced. And by having your mental health enhanced, you're also enhancing the mental health of the people you are with because you're able to give them more of your full attention and be really 100% there for them. So I'm really linking it to mental health. Wow. Never even would have thought about that, but that's a great perspective, something to think about. Yeah. yeah. So, Sam, tell me something that most people don't know about you. All right. So, so, so everybody listening right now hear an accent, right? I'm, I'm talking funny. And normally, if I'm in a conference, I'm going to ask the audience, where do you think I'm from? And 90% and, and of them don't get it right. So it's quite pretty boring. I'm from Canada. So nobody's perfect, right? I'm Canadian. And my accent is from Montreal, right? It's a French-Canadian accent. Now, what people don't know is I did the full DNA testing. So I'm fourth generation Irish. And in my blood, there's not a drop of blood of French in me whatsoever. So I'm Irish, English with a little bit of Portuguese and, and like 0.3% Viking. So, of course, when people ask me, I'm saying that I'm a Viking because I really like the 0.3% Viking. <laughs> but I have no French whatsoever in me and French is my first language. So here's a fun fact. Yep. Oh, that's good. Well, my next question, I was going to ask what was the last thing that made you laugh, but I can tell you, you the last thing that made me laugh, and that was you know, what you <laughs> what just, I just said. <laughs> what I just said, sir? Yeah. Well, what the, the last thing made me laugh, so my kids make me laugh every day, but the last thing was a, a post on Twitter yesterday because the COVID vaccine is a hot topic right now. And there was this quote saying, if you ever played in a battle pit when you were a kid, 
you don't have the right to worry about what's in the COVID vaccine. <laughs> and it just made me crack. It's like, okay, that's so true. Those are just so nasty and gross, yeah. right? So let's not worry about the vaccine if you played in a, in a ball pit. It just made me laugh. <laughs> yep. All right, good stuff. So you know what? I, I forgot to, as we just got right into our conversation as the show started, but if you don't mind sharing what your elevator pitch is, kind of who you are and what it is that you're doing. Yes, absolutely. I always start by saying I'm an husband, I'm a proud dad, I'm a friend, and I'm an HR executive. Like that, that to me, it, this is how I'm defining myself and probably in that order, right? And if I have to give an elevator pitch, what I'll say is I'm a futurist and I'm a business and social engineer. And my specialty is to transform HR to really exceed the current stakeholder needs but also positioning yourself to proactively address the future needs of the organization. Wow. How about that? We could have a whole show just on your elevator pitch. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. That's powerful. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm such, and I actually wrote it down, is because I had someone else I had on my other show. I had a gal by the name of Christy Wallace. She's fantastic. She's the, the head of a company called Elevate. And when I had asked her something similar about, hey, describe yourself or your elevator pitch or whatever it was, she led with something very similar about, I'm a friend. And, I'm a, and I was like, you know what? Damn, that is good because that really is, that does define who we are and what's important to us. And it's not to take anything away from your job. You obviously have a big job. You just kind of pulled in the holistic approach to your elevator pitch. So kudos to you for that one and give a little more airtime to Christy Wallace for doing the same thing. Very powerful. Like, I, well, I'll go listen to the Christy Wallace podcast, but it's it, um, uh, her, her, her conversation with you. But it's very powerful because work is not what define us, mm. right? So I, it's very smart the way she answered it. Yeah. And I think that's such a, a great segue into what you do, ironically enough. So if you don't mind, what is your title? You're in workforce engagement, but what, what is your title and exactly what is workforce engagement? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm basically a senior exec in HR and, and workforce engagement. The way we are thinking about workforce engagement is leading all the key HR department and the center of expertise that we have in, a, in HR that engage with all stakeholders with the power to create an experience for them. And by that, when I say stakeholders, I mean all of them, right? So that can be teammates, that can be leaders, that can be executives, that can also be anybody interested to join the organization, right? So for example, talent acquisition is part of workforce engagement because this is a department that engage in many ways with multiple stakeholders and have the power to create an experience. And the best example would be somebody that is interested to work for us. Well, very often they go on our website or they have a conversation with one of our talent acquisition consultants before they even work for us. And that's an opportunity to create an experience or to create an engagement, right? So that's how we think about it. That's interesting. And how is that either similar or different from someone that's considered a chief experience officer? Yes, that's very so. That's a very good question. It's different in the sense that the, the, the CXO going to focus on the experience of the teammates, and depending on them, going to also focus on the either the patient experience or the consumer experience, and going to drive that specific strategy. Where in the case of workforce engagement, it's really leading the department that influence that experience. So then, it's the strategy of those departments that have the power to influence all of those uh, experience. And in our case, the way we're thinking about it is really talent acquisition, executive recruiting, the HR business partners, teammate relations. When you think about all those departments, 
they have the power to impact the full experience of teammates in the organization. So mm. chief experience officer drive the strategy of experience, but workforce engagement lead the department that can influence that specific influence. Yes. Thank you for explaining that to me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not, not, yeah, exactly. yeah, I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> can be confusing. It was interesting. I had read a, a Gallup poll uh, a, a while back. I'm a big fan of Gallup. I think they're one of the yes. incredible, I don't know what exactly they're labeled, but anyways, where they talked about how companies that have engaged employees, I think they enjoy, it's like two and a half times more revenue growth versus the competitors that have a very low engagement level. So I, I remember when you and I first kind of connected and, and we were talking, I, I, I remembered that fact. Yes. And I was like, it just makes so much sense. And kind of hearing about what it is that you're doing and how you're going about things really supports it. Oh, without a doubt. And I, I, I firmly believe in Gallup. I agree with you. And I've read those studies and everywhere I've been that creating experience or, or maximizing engagement was a focus, that 2.3 is seen to be accurate, without a doubt. Yeah. Even just by, by minimizing turnover. Right. Yeah. So, so assuming that people that are engaged and have strong experience with their employers are not going somewhere else, this is a huge productivity factor. There's nothing else that can break an, uh, an, an organization more than having an awful vacancy rate and just having work not done or worse, having other people having to pick up the work that is not done and then they get overburdened and burned out. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, yeah. There's a big domino effect that's happening right there. That's right. That's right. Yeah, interesting. So what would you say is the skill set or I don't know if it's a personality type that typically excels in this kind of role? Yes. And I'm a firm believer in personality. So even when I do my, my own hiring for, for leaders um, um, working closely with me, to me, experience is maybe 25, 30% of the great and the personality is the other 70, 75%, right? And, and in this case, it's truly a, a focus on customer service mm. with uh, a strong capacity to understand current and uh, upcoming needs, strong capacity to understand trends mm -hmm. and technology and be able to draw correlation. I'm biased because I come from the world of business, right? So HR and healthcare is my second career. I was an, an operation um, and business executive for a for-profit organization in the past, which was the number one HR service provider in the world. And that business background is serving me in spade. Mm. So to me, ex experience-focused, customer service-oriented focus, strong business acumen, and strong understanding of the current and upcoming needs and what needs to be done to address them at, from all point of view, from the teammate, from the leaders, from the patient, et cetera. So what would someone that maybe has a more traditional background in HR, are there things that they could be doing to ascertain this business acumen or some of the other things that you've just discussed? Yes, that's a, that's a good one because it's one of the challenges we're having, right? So an HR professional that has been a career professional to really compensate. So of course, there's always all the, the classes, et cetera. What I've seen successful is to attach them to project with operation leaders. So it's a little bit of a buddy system where they would be able to shadow some part of the operation leader work, right? And really get into how they think through it how they use financial, how they use data, how they use PLs, how they make their decision so that the HR person can close the gap and end up having the same language. So, all right, let's say that 
you had a traditional HR background, you had, then you were getting groomed to, to do this job, to be, yes. to work in workforce engagement. What does the career path look like from there? I don't know if there's, if you can just do this at other organizations, because I don't know of a lot of organizations that have this type of role, or are there other opportunities that can come to fruition, whether it's working maybe in the business, because now you've become so ingrained in the business itself, or is it to kind of stay more in the kind of following more of the traditional HR? That's a very good question. So I think... A CHRO would need to look at all the HR departments that they're having and the strength of all their senior leaders they have and make a decision on how do you maximize the strength of those people. In our case, the way we were thinking about it is it was really putting together different HR departments that would bring and enhance the engagement of people. So every organization can do that. So, so the career path is, do you have a strong business acumen? Do you have a strong understanding of HR and, and, and the capacity to drive a people strategy? Do you have a strong focus on, on delivery strategy and, and customer service? And if you have that, then it's the desire of your organization to pack together those departments to achieve that. It's making sure that the organization want to use that strategy to get to a stronger engagement. Interesting. And then how about the field itself? Does this type of a role lend itself more so to a, a particular field? Like, for example, you're in the healthcare field. So yes. why is workforce, why is a workforce engagement officer important specifically to your field? And I will say, I think it's important in any field. Okay. And, and let me explain my answer. Because, and, and of course, healthcare, because there's this component of patient experience. So the more the teammates are engaged, the more patient experience go up. And we know in healthcare, the more you have patient experience, this is how you get refunded, right? This is how you get payback with HCAP scores, et cetera. But I will say it's in any field because first, you touched on it, Gallup said it, right? 2.3 productivity. I will say, I'll give you two facts and then give you an example. So uh, Maya Angelou said it best, right? Which is people going to forget uh, what you told them, but they're always going to remember how they felt. Mm -hmm. And this is so true. And then I'm going to link that concept to the experience economy. So the experience economy is a concept that started in the late 90s. It's, it started with an HBR review, so in a Harvard Business Review, it turned into a book. And that was written by B. Joseph Pine II and James H. Gilmore. And the concept of experience economy is the organization is going to be able to draw the attention of their, cons their consumer in a way that they're going to create experience and make the customer want to spend all their time with them, are there going to be the companies that's going to win in the business place? Mm. Now, if you think about companies that did that extremely well in, in 2020, let's think about Disney, Amazon, Apple, etc. It's crystal clear those are the company winning out, uh, out there. Now, if we take that concept of uh, experience economy, that we mix it with the concept of People are going to forget what you tell them, but they're going to always remember how they felt. Everything is about an experience, mm -hmm. right? Everything. And the more you can generate that experience, the more people are going to want to stay with you. And in a world where talent acquisition go to the plate already two strikes, right? Mm -hmm. So we're having two boomers going to retirement, 
for only one millennial or one Gen Z coming in into the employment market. So two resource leaving for retirement, only one resource coming into the employment market. The un unemployment rate. So now, of course, it's higher because of COVID. But pre-COVID, we were in a full employment market yeah. below 4%, right? Or even the gig economy, right? No, knowing that the Gen Z, 41% of them going to want to be an entrepreneur and are not going to even want to work on your payroll. So talent acquisition is tried to from the get-go. Your only chance to win is retention. Mm. And if your only chance to win as retention, then this is why workforce engagement become your path to win because the best way to retain is to create experience that's going to make your teammate feel about your organization and never want to go somewhere else. Interesting. So that, so that was a long answer, but I wanted to set the table. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do give me one second, Seb. Sorry. Thank you. No, no Sorry. problem. I, I just had my, my daughter just came in and uh, handed me a coffee. We'll edit that one little portion out. So I, I apologize. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. You, you, see, you're a dad first, right? So that, that's what defined you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a what great what point. You. Yeah. You know what? That's an awesome point. And uh, you yeah. know what? Maybe we'll actually keep this in just to keep it as real as possible and authentic and just in the spirit of because it's you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would agree. And in 2020, I think we all got used to work from home and dealing with life and work being entangled that way, right? So Yeah. Well, so how does that then filter in to the workforce engagement? Are those things that you've had to kind of, are there things that you've had to implement to kind of tell everybody, hey, it's okay. We got to be a little looser or a little more understanding, empathetic. Oh, absolutely. We had to define what leading with empathy meant. And we really had to re reshape all our training module to how do you lead at a distance, right? Because leaders that are great in person doesn't mean that they're great at a distance. And there's many things that how you lead people remotely going to change. So how do you engage remotely? It's very different than how you engage in person. How do you provide feedback remotely? How do you do a performance management remotely? How do you, even how do you perceive a teammate that is maybe going through struggle remotely, right? In person, I, can I might be able to pick up on cues that something's going wrong with you. Remotely, it's way harder to find out. So things like that, that we had to reshape all the training and retrain all our leaders to be able to to become the best at leading remotely. Wow, that, that's a that's a great skill that you don't even, even think about. I mean, now there's a new job out there called like the chief remote director. And, oh wow, yep, uh, yeah. And I forgot there's two other names I've heard that are essentially the same thing, but it's a, a kind of addressing just things like what you're just talking about. That I, I guess that might great. fall under yeah, like under your umbrella. That's a great idea. And, and you know what? I think it's amazing because it, it, something good going to come out of COVID, right? Like Winston Churchill said, never waste a good crisis. And, and I think working remotely <laughs> is going to be one of those, right? Which is we're going to be able to drive results and manage to results instead of managing to a schedule of eight to five, right? So don't get me wrong. Eight to five, there's job that still need to happen. But as you said, many of us now with school being virtual or having kids at home, Maybe you take a longer lunch because you need to take care of your kids, but then you work at night to compensate for that. And in the end, what, what really matters is the results, right? So, so that results management is going to be pushed up. And I think it's a, that's a good thing. I love that. And I agree with you about that. There are a lot of positives that have come of this, but I love that manage to results. I think that is excellent. That's a great quote. You're you're loaded with these golden nuggets of knowledge. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm just quoting, right? So so I'm good at copying. So, so I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly. I'm a copycat. Yeah. Well, no. is, is manage to results? Is that a, I, I haven't heard that before. 
I think the way we're saying is managing to performance, right? So, which is manage the outcome and not necessarily the hours. And what matters is not how long the person is working during the week. What matters is, are they delivering what they have to deliver no matter how long it takes? That's a new skill that leaders that, that lead with teammates that are working remotely really need to build. You know, I, I feel bad for a lot of these leaders because a lot of people now are just thrust into these positions. There's this whole new generation of leaders yes. that weren't groomed to be leaders to begin with. So that was an issue pre-COVID. So take that and kind of sprinkle in some COVID and there's just that whole other level of challenge on, on from a leadership standpoint. So that's tough. It's very tough. And especially in healthcare, we had a tendency to be a bit behind the curveball with working remotely compared to other industry, like, for example, technology industry. There was a Harvard Business Review that was done a couple of years back. And I think what they said about working remotely was so telling that I think COVID is a blessing on that specific aspect. So they were asking in the nation to, to workers, would you want to work remotely if you had the chance, even if it's partial, right? Even if it's two days a week. Hmm. And over 90% of them said, yes, would love to. Then what they did is they look at the job of those people to see if they can work remotely, right? Because if I'm a, if I'm a truck driver, well, I cannot work remotely, right? So it just cannot. I need to drive my truck. Well, there's uh, self-driving cars now, but still, you see what I'm saying, yeah. right? So, so 90% wanted... 50% can. So 50% of the people could have been working remotely. And then to the question, are you working remotely, even partially, it was 2.7%. Huh. And that gap is scary. 90% want, 50% can, and 2.7% was. Yeah. So what COVID did is now that 2.7%, it went up dramatically. So for the leaders that had a hard time to adapt to it, what I want to say is it was coming anyway. So I understand your pain. I totally get it. But please don't revert back because even before COVID, the message was crystal clear. This is what people wanted. And you're not going to dictate that trend. The trend's going to dictate you. So embrace it. That's interesting. That's your right. It just ex expedi it expedited this. It was a catalyst. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. That's so interesting. So what are the, the top three things that you're presently investing your time in these days? So this one is easy and hard to answer because right now it's bracing for the surge in COVID, right? We, we know the cases are going up and being in healthcare, we have to do everything we can to have enough beds for a patient and everything we can to have enough staff so that we don't um, overburden our existing staff. So right now it's surge or strategic combination, right? We just partnered with Forest Betsy's Health. The medical, um, the, the medical side of Wake Forest. So it's this is where the time is right now. Now, in normal time, it's really about moving from engagement to experience because there's a big difference between both and do it in a way to enhance retention. I really feel that the organization that's going to win the retention game going to win, period. The second one is to understand the intercorrelation between customer experience and teammate experience. Because there's, there is correlation, but to be able to analyze data and know exactly where to focus to have your best bang for the buck and enhance retention, that's the, the second one. Mm -hmm. So we're very dominating in the Southeast, but we're at a point right now where we can go tap um, in the pool in the nation and uh, to find a way to do it the best way, that's where I would be spending my time. Yep. Gotcha. Excellent. Um we're getting tight on time, but I really, there are a bunch of things that I wanted to cover with you. Yes. Is there a way that you can, you've got these three pillars of HR, 
that we discussed in a previous conversation. Do you mind at least high level explaining your three pillars of HR? I'll make it simple and fast. So let's think about a stool. And at the top, so the top of the stool is basically driving the people aspect of the organization, right? So what do we need to drive the people strategy of the organization? So the first leg of the stool would be strategy and strategic workforce planning, which is what's next. So it's really the pillar of assessing what's coming our way and what strategy do we need to address that and how do we translate it into action today to address that trend. The second leg of the stool would be engagement experience, which is the how do you get there. And then the third leg of the stool would be operations, the now, right? So operation would be more typical HR departments like data management, leave of absence, et cetera. Great. And then how would you kind of compare your, and again, I don't want to put you on the spot, but your three pillars of HR to uh, the podcast that I did with Dennis Roberts, where he had like what he called his three buckets of HR. It's very, it was very similar. Yeah. I think we, we were saying the same thing with different words. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was actually quite interesting to define it with different words. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I thought so too. So I think that's really interesting. If you could go back in time and give yourself some professional advice, what would it be? Oh, wow. There's many. I will say that, and I will quote two of my mentors. Everybody talk about IQ and EQ. Mm -hmm. And I think we're missing the vote. I think what we need to talk about is SQ, which is social intelligence. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I'll give you two quotes and I'll explain that because it's something that I grasped later in my career that if I had grasped earlier, it would have just made me even more successful. So the first quote comes from um, Chrissy Offbeck. She's, she's an exec actuary for one of the, uh, she was one of um, the top exec from one of the uh, uh, big insurance company, but she was also a survivor, the show, uh, you know, with uh, Jeff, yeah. Jeff Probst. Yeah, she was a survivor participant. She was a runner up and she wrote a book called Winning Condition. And her quote is, it is not who you know, it is who know you. And that's a big difference. And then the second quote would be from our current um, uh, chief people and culture officer, uh, Dr. Jim Dunn, that, that said to me once, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. Those are often not the one that's going to be succeeding. You need to be the person that's going to understand all the network, understand how the relationship are going, and you're going to find a way to get visibility to those people and have them pay attention to you. Mm. So again, it's not who you know, it's who know you. And if you think about it, social intelligence is often winning over everything else. You're speaking my language right now, Seb. Am I? Awesome. Oh, this is, yeah, this also, is my language. You know, I mean, my, my company is all about, it's network-wise, it's teaching people yes. the art and science of building world-class relationships. And it's all of those things that you just talked about. I, I, I mean, I was foaming at the mouth, as you said, SQ. I wholeheartedly believe in it. And I could give you statistic upon statistic and study upon studies that reinforces everything that you just talked about. And when you were just um, talking about, I missed her name, but it reminded me of... Henry Ford. Uh, I'm sure you know who he was at yes. the time. So back in, yep. in the day, he was, the papers destroyed him. He was this, you know, big business tycoon that made all this money. And, but they would talk about how, I think they called him stupid. And cause he didn't, I think he can't remember if he graduated even high school. So they really like, they really were hard on him. So finally he sued one of the papers. And yep. I'm totally bastardizing the story, but I think you get the genesis of it. So yes. at one point he's up on the state, he's up on the stand and he's getting interrogated by the lawyers. What's the capital of New York? Where's Grant's tomb buried? I mean, just asking him just like 
basic just questions and things that maybe you learned in high school or college. And he didn't know the answer, didn't know the answer, didn't know the answer. And he stayed calm. And then after about, I don't know, maybe an hour of being interrogated and them showing how stupid he was, he finally is just like, you know what? I don't know the answer to 90% of the questions that you just asked me, but you know what I do know? I've got a button on my desk that's got lots, or I've got a thing on my desk with lots of buttons that can get you the answer to every single one of those questions and probably school you on the history behind the answers that I have access to and so much more. So who's the one that's not intelligent right now? This is brilliant. It's totally brilliant. That's where he came. He said that if he could trade in one thing, it would be, you know, if, you know, if he was to go broke, but he could keep one thing, what would it be? And it was his network. It was his Rolodex. It was surrounded because of the, he appreciated the social intelligence and the power of being able to connect with people and the beauty of being able to, you know, in in a network, the the whole thing is to, uh, a network is to surround the weakness of the individual with the strengths of the group. So all of these things we're talking about. Yeah. Oh, it's it's great. So thank you for that. (laughs) No, my my pleasure. Because it's fascinating to me also that people forget to network or don't even take the time when this is one key component of success. Yeah. Yeah. It's a difference between busy and important. Well, I got to tell you, this was an important conversation uh, for me. I mean, I mean, you want to talk about meaningful conversation. I mean, we did that. I mean, you are a social engineer. It was funny when you, you know, kind of described yourself as that. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm really happy to hear that. I didn't get to to dig into that. But I mean, you really are. It, It sounds to me that you've really found your calling in the role that you're in. I mean, you're passionate about this. You understand people. We didn't get a chance to really dive as much into your background. But for those that are listening, uh, Seb's got a MBA from MIT, which I'm sure you've been able to leverage understanding the data, understanding the business, which I think really helps to kind of build this ecosystem that you're doing in your role by interacting with all these different people, understanding the data, understanding their roles, having that empathy, and being able to make a massive contribution. So I'm also a huge fan of quotes, and you throw a lot out there. So I appreciate (laughs) that. Yes, I did. Absolutely. (laughs) And and to link my education to networking and and NSQ, don't get me wrong, I think MIT was an amazing education, right? What I've learned at MIT is priceless. But what I really got out of it is a network. And, and maximizing that network is, is taking me as far, if not further, than the quality of education that I had, right? So, so going back to what you're doing and, and or what you're sponsoring, right, which SQ is really making a difference. Yeah, it sure is. Man, Seb, this has been a great conversation. What did I forget to ask you? What are we leaving out? Well, there's a lot that I wanted to ask you, but is there anything in particular um, that you would like to share before we say goodbye? I will just say, first, honored to be here today and just have the chance to talk with you and bond with you. And if anybody want to reach out to me, I always love networking and, and love different thoughts, right? Any pushback, you agree, you disagree, please reach out. Let's have the dialogue. Always a pleasure for sure. Many thanks for coming on the show, my friend. No, nope, my pleasure. And uh, yep, absolutely. That was an honor. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to NetworkWise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise.